We are going to be dealing with patience this morning. Patience. Something that I'm sure we all have, that we all love, that we all wanted yesterday. And if we don't have it, we're still waiting for it. I got a million bad jokes in relation to patience, so you're going to have to bear with me. It will all bear itself out as we go along. Uh, we are in Galatians 5. We're going to be in Luke 18. It's not going to be a normal sermon. I'm not sure that there ever is a normal sermon. Uh, but I'm not going to be focusing on just one text. I want us to take a look at a few different ones to really understand how this works out. You'll understand that as we get there. So Galatians 5, through 24, and then Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. If you would kindly stand with me, because I need a minute to find Luke. There we go. Okay. Galatians, starting in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Be aware that by the time we're done with this series, I'm going to ask you to read that to me. Just saying. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight today. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. For Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. What I want us to work out today, patience is a fun one. What I really want us to work out today, though, as we take a look at patience, is that as a fruit, it is one of the most difficult to cultivate. Because when you think about it, what it requires to get patience is for us to actually be in places and situations which cause impatience. It's not a gift. We're not given patience. We have to grow the fruit of patience. And that doesn't happen in a vacuum where nothing ever challenges you. So it's good for us to remember and understand as we unfold this that the grace of God is absolutely essential to know because we need to learn to have patience with one another. And that's where the grace of God comes in, towards us especially, all in order that we may actually have it towards others for those who are in need, who test our patience, who try us, and frankly, for those whom we try. I like to tell people that I can be the most annoying person in the room, which is what affords me the ability to have a little bit more grace than perhaps people would like me to have because I know that I am the nuisance more often than not. And that's okay. I can live with that because so are you. And that's good. If we can land there, we're all right. You see, the patience of God is seen around us every single day. How do I know that? Well, his grace is poured out on every single human being that you see, whether they know who Jesus is or they don't know who Jesus is. That's affectionately called common grace. The sun shines on both the evil and the good. The rain falls down on both the wicked and the righteous. And both evil and good benefit because God chooses to exercise grace and patience with humanity. It's just a fact. The very notion that in him we live and move and have our being, that we can get out of bed in the morning and put our feet on the floor, speaks to the goodness and the grace and the patience of God. We need that. 
And it ought to give us joy and it ought to give us peace when we realize that because of his great love for us. That's what's going on. He's not executing his wrath. Rather, he's pouring out his love. See, my pastor said many, many years ago when he was reflecting on such things, he might have even been going through the fruits of the Spirit for all I know. If God really wanted to pour out his wrath upon us and he wanted to set us in our place, we'd all be craters. It's that simple. When you think it through, we'd all be craters. But you see, he hasn't done that yet, has he? How do I know? Because we're still here. We're not ashes and dust and holes in the ground. He does not look at us and judge us as we deserve. Rather, he pours his grace out upon us. And that is seen in his patience towards a continual, obstinate, stubborn human race. That is patience. That is seen through the eyes of Scripture and who God is. And that's the word that we're going to tackle today. The one which annoys and irritates so many of us. I don't like patience. I have very little of it. And the Lord's working on me on that. We want it now. In fact, we want it yesterday. So anytime you want to give it to me, Lord, that would be just fine. It'll be good. You bring it my way. That's how I want it. That's how it works, right? No. It's not how it works at all. And there are two things that we need to remember today as we unpack this particular aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And wow, it's quiet in here. Are we ready? Lack of patience, in my mind, equals a lack of trust. It equals a lack of trust. A lack of trusting in God and his providential care over you and the process of him conforming you to the likeness of his son, Jesus. When we become impatient, there's a real good chance if we were to prayerfully dig deep enough, we are starting to waver in whether or not we're trusting the process that God has put us in. And that leads to number two. Far too many of us want it in a very short time and in a very few steps, what we see others have. But we forget that those others have journeyed many miles and toiled many years to get to where they are. And we want it in just a few short steps in just a little bit of time. Long-term faithfulness in one direction to work these things out is essential for everybody who calls themselves a Christian in their growth. It's absolutely essential. Long-term faithfulness in one direction. And that calls for, guess what? Patience. Are you annoyed yet? I want us to look at how Jesus displayed his patience. These are the three things we're going to tackle. How Jesus displayed his patience, because it's all over the place. Second, how the apostles themselves handled it as they grew, and then it was their turn to challenge and develop the next generation. And then lastly, how do we and can we handle things in a way that the scripture maps out for us? That's what we're going to unpack today. So first, how is it Jesus displayed patience? This one was real simple. I didn't have too far to go or too long to look to figure out how it was Jesus handled people with patience because there were too many examples to pick from. I had to sort out, and I I looked at two, and two that are my favorite. First, when it comes to the little kids in one of the readings that I had here this morning, in the midst of a church meeting where Jesus is doing all the things that Jesus does, he's teaching, he's healing, he's talking about a widow who is so persistently annoying with a judge that he just finally gives her what she wants to get her off his back. And then he turns to what it's like to handle a tax collector and how it is we work with them. People have the nerve 
to actually start bringing little kids to the church service. They were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Now, that's a little bit unsettling. In typical fashion, what do you think the disciples do? You think they get it? You think they understand it? You think it's all cool and they're making way for it? No, they begin to run block. Telling these people that Jesus is just a little bit too busy in his ministry to bother with the little kids that you're bringing this morning. The disciples saw it. They rebuked them. In other words, the disciples said, no, you can't come in here. There's not enough room, or we've sold all the tickets, or Jesus isn't going to bother with the little kids who've got a dirty diaper and a runny nose, and they're drooling all over themselves. You've got to wait here. He's actually a little bit busy. And can you imagine that happening? I can. I've seen it. No kids allowed here. Jesus is a little bit too busy in ministry teaching after all, so why don't you just wait until it's done? I think that through for a minute, you see, because guess what happens? Jesus sees that, and I can imagine it in my head. We got it in Scripture for us, but I see this thing going on in my head, and he sees them in the back of the room, and he's like, you know, let's have an aside here, boys. Let's just kind of talk about what this looks like for a minute, because um, you know what? They're actually what we're all about. These little kids that you're saying, I don't have time for them, are actually why it is we're here. Because ministry is about building relationship. That takes patience. It takes time. It takes effort. Ministry is about serving others. It's about sharing the goodness of God with people who need it in a time that they might have a little bit of trouble. And if little kids are being brought by their parents, there's a good chance that, guess what? They need a little bit of help. It's really hard to build the kingdom of God if you keep telling anyone and everyone who shows up that doesn't fit your thought process or your mold to go away. You see, they aren't an inconvenience. They are our mission. They are our mission. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. Growth or church growth tool number one. Church growth tool number one. Don't turn people away who are trying to come. I know that that seems logical, but you have no idea all of the ways in which we actually turn people away who are trying to come. Think that through. You're sensible people. I think that we can all understand how that works in each of our own lives. I know how I do it. Gets back to being impatient and the most annoying person in the room. But moving on, from turning kids away, the next thing that I see, I call the scorched earth evangelism policy. The scorched earth evangelism policy. And you can't make this stuff up. It's all right in scripture. And Jesus at this point, he's got his mind and his eyes set on going to Jerusalem. This is the deal. He's headed that way. He doesn't really want to linger anywhere, but he needs a place to stay for the night. So he sends his guys ahead. He tells the boys, you need to go into the next village and you need to get a place ready for me. Set it up so we can rest for the night. Only they get there and they find out that because Jesus isn't going to stay there and do ministry, the town really doesn't want anything to do with him. So they get all bent out of shape. James and John, the original turn and burn boys, okay, the sons of thunder. They go from zero and real kind, we need a place for the master to say, to do you want us to torch the place, Lord? Scorched earth. It's good stuff, right? Again, you can't make it up. You cannot make this up. 
Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They don't want you here. They don't like the fact that you're just the passing through. So let's burn the place to the ground. It's good stuff, isn't it? No, no you know what, boys? Not today. Let, let, let's not do that today. Because, again, that's really not what we're about. I think perhaps we'll hold off on turning this entire town into a giant crater. Could you imagine if that were to happen every time the gospel were rejected today? Every time our hearts go a little bit sideways, perhaps, if Jesus was not welcome, there'd be none of us left. I couldn't even tell you I'd be preaching to an empty church because you'd have an empty pulpit. His patience here is unbelievable with people who live with him three years, day in and day out. And saw everything he did and still right up to the end they were getting it wrong. And yet he exhibited his patience. He rebukes them. They move on. What patience to show a bunch of guys who cannot get it right. Perhaps it should have all been women. They might have got it right. Perhaps not. I don't know. But I find great hope in this. And you know why I find great hope in that? Because more often than not, I find myself that I am more like the disciples than I am like Jesus. And his grace and his patience is extended over me on a regular basis. I'm growing for sure. And I hope that you are too if you struggle with this particular fruit. I hope that you are growing, that you are honest before the Lord with what you're struggling with. But God's patience is always great towards me as it is towards you. We want to do better tomorrow than we did today. And we want to do better today than we did yesterday. So there's a couple of examples of Jesus' patience. You can spend time in the Gospels and you can know more. But now what do we look at when the apostles finally display this? These guys who finally get it. They finally get it. All of them understand what it was Jesus was teaching them. And of all of them, Peter, it seems to me, is actually the most helpful. Peter himself He got a hold of the grace of God in a way I think that nobody else did. And he began to pay it forward in ministry. In looking to teach the next generation of leaders, Peter knows that it takes great patience to teach. Why? Because he was a horrible student. And once he finally got it, he realized that. The best way to teach and to do this was to look at how Jesus did it. Jesus walked it out. He showed it through action as much as through word, how it was to be done. He didn't just tell people what to do. He showed people how to do it. And when Peter got a hold of that, he started to live out the Jesus life throughout the rest of his days. In addressing the elders in one of his letters, his first letter, in fact, he takes care to remind them how it is they're supposed to operate because he's learned this. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. As when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. 
Close yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, Peter, it looks to me, finally has been able to see the patience of God towards him over the years and discovered that patience grows best in a heart that is humbled before the Lord. In a heart that is humble before the Lord. See, pride, it seems to me, can be a driver for impatience. So be very careful. Pride can be a driver for impatience. In fact, it is. That was Peter's problem. We have to control the situation. Pride was a huge part of what Peter struggled with. When he finally came to the end of himself, as we learned last week, we've got to get to the end of ourselves in order that Jesus can do the deep work. Peter comes to the end of himself. He discovers God waiting there to grow him forward even more. He went to the crossroads. He discovered the ancient way. And he found that God was already there waiting for him. Peter, more than any other, understood this thing called patience. Encouraging the church again, as an older man now, in the second letter that he wrote, he reminds them of who they serve and how he is towards not only them, but to all of humanity. And this is a gospel piece. This is an evangelistic piece. We have to understand this. Do not overlook this one fact. And I've read this. I'm reading it again. Beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, as an aside... We're not going to calculate out when the end of time is. We're not going to try and put it on a timeline somewhere and look for some blood moon or some foolishness because that's really what's going on here. It's not. It's not. What Peter is saying here is that one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as one day. God's time ain't our time. It's not real deep, I know, and you can't really sell a book with that, but that's what's going on. God has his time. We need to be observant as to what it is he's doing so that we can be doing what he's calling us to. But with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord isn't slow. He is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is what? He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You stand in a room with somebody who looks at you and tells you that God is impatient, that God doesn't care about a certain group of people because they do a certain thing. They don't dress right. They don't date the right person. They aren't married to the right person. And God doesn't like them and he's going to judge them and blah, blah, blah. Yes, he is going to judge them. But what it says here is that he is taking time and coming back to this world because he doesn't want to lose anybody. Why do we as the church exercise great impatience with people who are different than we are and think that God is going to smite them where they stand? Why do we think that way when the Bible is very clear that God himself is patient with all of humanity because he doesn't want to lose anybody? And yet we are so very impatient with the annoying person in front of us. Who better to teach and remind God's people of the patience of God than the one upon whom much patience was displayed? Peter the Apostle. That is God's grace. That is God's goodness. It's a beautiful thing. And it seems clear, so clear, that his patience towards us is just abundant. That ought to always lead us. It ought to drive us. It did Peter to be patient with others. To not be so short. 
especially those who haven't come to the truth yet. Listen, even in this room, you don't know what this week held for some people. In this room, you have no idea what this morning held for some people. So before we very impatiently begin to create a story and accuse or get frustrated with or wonder why somebody's just a little bit off, perhaps, just perhaps, a patient prayer and an encouraging word is the best thing that anybody could hear. We have no idea what somebody has dealt with this week unless they decide to share it with you. Let's always be careful to be patient. That shows God's grace, especially for those who haven't believed yet in this Jesus of Nazareth. And that's where Paul the Apostle comes in. That's where Paul comes in. Another one who benefited greatly from the unbelievably great patience of God. He had to be smacked off his high horse for God to get his attention. That's patience. That's a great deal of patience. He reminds Timothy, this young pastor, of how he is not only to grow forward as an individual Christian, but also how to engage the non-believer, how to encourage, how to handle things. But flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You read this text and you will see all of the fruit of the Spirit operating here. Paul's not changing the story. He's just reframed it. Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. With gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. What's the implication there? That while we willfully choose to sin, and we are responsible and accountable for that, the unbeliever has been blinded and has been taken captive to do the will of the enemy. And with great patience, with gentleness, with faith, with love, with peace, with endurance, and again, with great patience, we engage people like that. We engage people like that. It really seems that in the exercising of the fruit of the Spirit, not just patience, but all of them together as a cumulative effect here, we, working with God, have the ability to lead people toward the truth and toward repentance. So you weren't left here just to collect dust. You have work to do. I have work to do. God works in and through us in order that we can bless and reach other people. And let's be careful here in the midst of these types of things that in our desire to be right, this, this, this has been my failing. So if this is for nobody else but me, I'm just going to throw it out there. In our desire to be right or to move far too quickly, we actually lose the person for whom Christ died, even though we might win the argument because we are impatient with the process. Trying to reach the lost, patience is absolutely essential. Jesus showed it every day and most especially with those who are closest to him. 
how much more so must we towards those who don't even know who Jesus is? Paul's clear here with Timothy. People are ensnared by the devil, taken captive to do his will. Our job is to help rescue them. You see, until the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, they do not, and they cannot know this. It is not something that the natural mind gets. It has to be the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the primary mode that God uses to help them understand their predicament? Do you know what that primary mode is? It's you. It is me. That's who. And that's how. Only by the Spirit of God working through the people of God can the blinders be removed from the eyes of those who don't know who God is. How much patience on our parts do you think that will take? Probably a lot more than any of us have. More than we have on our own for sure, at least for me. We need God through his Holy Spirit to fill us and to equip us for the task. I remember before I came to Christ, when I came to Vermont, I was messed up. Most of you know my story, so it's a waste of time to go there. Just not good. But I do not recall a night that my uncle told me the questions are too many, too stupid, and it's too late. With unbelievable patience, my uncle answered every single question I had until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And he would go to bed, and he would get up at 5 or 6, and he would go to work. But it was important to him because I knew, I think I knew, that he knew deep down in his soul that he was the mode and the mechanism by which God was reaching me. So with great patience, he sat and he listened. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. I suspect most of us wouldn't be. See, impatience is problematic. Once again, it shows our lack of trust in God who is in charge of the process, that lovely business language that we have. There's always a process. But it's true. Impatience is problematic because it displays a lack of trust in God who is in charge of the entire process. We have to choose to submit to that very process on his behalf. The growth process of cultivation and fruit production. You see, patience means that we must be in a place of impatience, recognizing that place as such, and in the midst of it, asking God to grow us. I know that you've got me in a place that is driving me crazy. Help me take a breath and understand that so that you can grow me a couple steps forward. Now, I want to leave you on a little bit of a lighter note, just a couple of my inner struggles as we get ourselves ready to close here. These are two lifelong efforts for me when it comes to patience. One of them is grocery stores, and the other is slow cars and green lights. There's a song in there somewhere if somebody wants to write it. <laughs> okay? When my pastor discovered that I had no patience whatsoever, and like on a scale of one to ten, where is your impatience level? I was at about a nine and three quarters. 
So, you know, somebody looked at me cross-eyed. I was already on the dark side of the moon. And he said, this is really not good. So here's your assignment. This is what a master's degree in divinity and another master's degree in English and Germany and all that stuff that Pastor Roland had. This is what he gives me to do. I want you to go to the grocery store. When you grocery shop, now at the time we had three kids, so, you know, $5,000 worth of groceries and two carts and all kinds of stuff. He said, don't look for the shortest line with the least amount of people in your favorite cashier. I want you to find the longest line with the most people, with the fullest carts, and the cashier that doesn't even know how to put anything in the bag. Pick that line. (laughs) Work on your patience. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. (laughs) But it worked. Because you've got to learn how to breathe. You have to learn how to understand that there are other human beings on the planet besides you and your self-centered, selfish little needs. Trust the process. Now, the other one that I'm really still working on, and I'm glad Allie's out back because she would probably stand up and openly rebuke me. But anyway, slow cars and green lights. And I do have a couple minutes, so I'm not letting you go yet. Or as I would like to say in my world, green means go in my world. It doesn't mean hang out for a little while and put your eyeliner on. It doesn't mean shave or adjust your donut in your newspaper. Green means go in my world. And that happens a nanosecond after the light turns green. Okay, You don't even have time to go from brake to gas, and I am like ready to hit the horn. Why? Because I've got a patience problem. I've got a patience problem. And you know that you have one. And again, my pastor reminded me of this. He, he actually asked me, I think he knows me pretty well. He goes, what light do you look at when you're stopped at a four-way? Mm. You know what light I look at? I don't look at my light that's red. I'm looking at the light that's green. Because that buys me an extra second or two. Because when that sucker turns red, I'm already working towards the gas so that mine turns green, I'm gone. Unless someone's in front of me who doesn't operate the way I do and decides they can wait a couple seconds. Then I'm mad. Do I have a patience issue? Uh-huh. And from the back seat of my car, every time I'm going down Shelburne Road, I hear my daughter. Daddy, you know, if you just get it, they wouldn't keep sticking you behind slow cars. <laughs> it's an edifying word for my daughter. Yes, I did. Which was always followed up when my son was little, Jonathan. He would always, after that, I would hear from him, that's really not a nice thing to say for a youth pastor dad. (laughs) No, you are probably right, son. So children are a wonderful way in which to learn patience. They are. I want to leave you with this. I don't even know if we'll close in a song. Maybe we'll just close in prayer because I just think that Every one of us is a work in progress. And this is what I will leave you with. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Every single one of us is a work in progress. We're all just a bunch of broken clay pots getting up every day trying to navigate this world with the assignments that God gives us every day. If we would see ourselves in that way and laugh a little bit more at ourselves because goodness knows everybody else is, we would probably be a little bit more patient with those around us who kind of miss the mark in our mind. We're just a bunch of broken clay pots. 
And in these jars of clay, God has made a vessel filled with his Holy Spirit for his kingdom. And if you belong to Jesus, you are that vessel. How are you going to operate this week? Let's stand and close in prayer. If you are in need of prayer, we will be here. Find us. Please do not leave. I leave that with you. But Father, as we just let this settle in in our hearts today, I confess to you, Father, that I am an impatient man. I'm still learning, even after all these years, to trust in the process, to trust you, to trust in what it is you have me to do. I suspect that a good many of us here actually deal with that same issue. So I pray, Father, for each and every person here in the name of Jesus that you would anoint them, that you would impart to them a special infilling of your Holy Spirit to strengthen them, to focus them, to encourage them, to give them the ability not only to see where they are being impatient, Lord, but to give them the ability to to till that soil, to be able to grow this fruit of patience, Lord, to recognize what it is you're trying to do in each and every one of our lives each day, that we would take a deep breath, we would step back and say, you're at work here, Lord, in us. You're trying to conform us to the likeness of your son, Jesus. Remind us all of that this week. I pray that you would protect hearts and you would protect minds. You would, you would show us each and every situation that we go into this week, that you would encourage us in those, that you would teach us, Lord, that you are with us and that you want to strengthen us and that for our benefit, you are helping us to grow these things. Help us to work as Paul tells us, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Help us to work out what it is you are working in us. And when it comes to patience, when we feel like we're going to lose our patience, May your voice not be that still small voice, but may it be very loud in our ears with the love of Christ to say, no, my child, I have you right here at this moment so that you can learn something and even more importantly, so that you can be a blessing to the very people that might be driving you crazy. Father, I leave everyone here in your care as we dismiss ourselves from here. Pray your blessing upon them all, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I bless you and thank you for coming. If you are in need of prayer, again, I want to encourage you just to take this quiet time and come and meet with some folks up front and up back and get some prayer.